I had I had applied for a scholarship for um, you know through the state. <laughs> yep. Um, for us to go back to school, um, apparently people with um, histories of mental illness they're they're able to gain assistance, you know, monetary assistance from uh, the state for vocational rehabilitation. And in order to do that, some people go to school. I've been accepted um, by this program. Uh, I will get like a four-year scholarship um, for anything that student aid doesn't cover. So um, I'm trying to figure out exactly what I want to go to school for. Um, right, right. Yeah, I've just been mulling over a few ideas and the closer my deadline gets to making my decision, the more ideas keep reiterating. Um, I mean, just kind of inundating me and I'm getting overwhelmed. I don't really know what to do. Right. And so you can study just about anything that you want? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Option paralysis. It's lovely. <laughs> I have so many choices. I don't know what to do. It's sort of like trying to look at a kaleidoscope through the eyes of a fly. What do I focus on? I do not know. Right. right. No, I, I think I understand. But um, uh, how long have you got and uh, and how long have you been putting it off? Um, I met with my counselor about two weeks ago. And that's when all my test results were in. And she said, just take some time and decide what you want to do. Because we had narrowed it down to like three or four things that um, are pretty pretty different. Um, I could figure out a way to like com like compile uh, like to to kind of blend them all probably post graduation, but I couldn't possibly study all of them. Okay, so so you can study, and you said you got it down to to was it three or four options? Yeah, yeah. And um, would you like? To yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear what they are, if that's all right with you. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the first one was uh, dog training, because they'll also send me to the vocational technical school. Um, now, do you want me to mention was... the emotions that I get based on your way of saying dog training? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Didn't sound too enthusiastic to me. But, uh, right. right. Well, I'll go down the list and, and you'll probably hear more enthusiasm in probably one of these choices. Right. <laughs> um, so there's dog training. There was, um, photography. There I'm was. I'm sorry, what was that? Photography. Photography. All right. Mm hmm. Um, advertising. And then, um, going to school for performing arts. Um, and those are all pretty different. <laughs> I, I don't know what career I could get out of um, going to school for performing arts, but that is my most passionate area of study. It's one that I have most experience in and one that I just don't think that I want to live my life without at least revisiting um right right but it's yeah i mean yeah yeah you could go to performing arts and then 
20 years later start a podcast. Anyway, uh, but we're looking for something a little bit more immediate because <laughs> that may not be the best or the most sensible approach for sure. All right. right. So dog training, right. photography, advertising, and performing arts. Was this, is that, there's nothing that I missed, right? Right. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Okay. Now, do you want to talk or do you want me to talk? Do you want me to ask questions? What's, uh, what's the best thing for you? Um, there are a couple things that I wanted, I wanted to share, like, um, the history behind, uh, my experience with school in general, which I, I think that has something to do with my reservation and like, just kind of going like balls to the wall with this thing. (laughs) I, I don't know exactly where it will all lie. The stress and the anxiety all lies, but um, the probably the fact that I I was I attended like so many schools in my elementary and high school years, and um, my mother tried to prevent me from graduating the year I was supposed to graduate. Um, so like I think I have all these ghosts and all this like metaphorical stuff still around when I think of success and when I think of studying and when I think of my relationships with students and stuff. And it probably doesn't all seem like it will, it probably doesn't sound like all these things connect like in an obvious way, but, and then the fact that I've really like focused um, in in maintaining my independence and finding a financial security, like it, it almost seems like I'm cutting myself short by allowing these things to permeate into my conscience, like into my present. Right. If that makes any sense. Um, so I, I guess that's all I have to say about that. But, Sorry, I just um, want to make sure I just missed that last bit. You were saying that if you allow this to permeate, you're selling yourself short. If you allow this to permeate into your consciousness, could you just remind me what this is? I'm I'm sorry, I just missed that part. Sure. Um, that might that uh, I think there there are things I believed in, like I had core values around school that I think still exist within me that I don't necessarily. I don't think they're part of who I like. I don't think that they're organic for me they are things I've learned about myself from my parents right such as I don't deserve um, the time and energy around going to school um, I don't the other core value is I I don't deserve the investment around the equipment that I will need in order to um, become a dog trainer or become a photographer or um, like and it even goes into like little activities like hiking or something, like all like the money around it. And it's interesting that I'm 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 I petitioned the state to help me do this, and I felt confident about that because one thing I I remember was that my mom always made me feel like I was dependent on the state. But then at this point in my life, it's almost like I'm making the state pay me back for what <laughs> I endured. Yeah. Because yeah. they set her up, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm I'm okay with that. I'm just a little nervous that I, I'll mess it up, that I'm going to 
that I'm going to fail. Yeah. That you're going to fail, so you're going to go into these courses and then you're going to fail in some way, right? Right. Right, right, okay. Now, uh, but, sorry, and I, I want to make sure that I, um, uh, I sort of get on the receiving end of everything that you wanted to say. Is, that the, is, that, is there more that you wanted to say before I start doing my Ramble Tangent Spittlefest, or, or, um, or should I go ahead? Um, I do want to say that I, I attempted to go to school for massage therapy twice, and I failed both times. And what does failed mean there? Failed, failed, um, immediately failed means to me, like, I didn't do my best. I didn't overcome struggles and challenges. I didn't, you know, I wasn't prestigious enough. I wasn't, um smart enough. I didn't apply myself enough. Like, I know I'm smart enough, but I just didn't apply myself enough. I let emotional things take over me. Is it, and, and, and do you, sorry, do you regret that? Do you wish that you were a massage therapist now? I don't wish I were a massage therapist now, so I don't regret it, no. So it's not really a failure if you stop doing something you don't want to do, right? That's true. No, I mean, I, I, that's an important point, right? I think it is, yeah. Some, I do sometimes, because, sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Oh, well, I think I, I would have been, at this point, I may have been just searching for another strategy about careers anyway, at this point. If, even if I had made some money as a massage therapist, I definitely was not in a good place to be, to be around bodies, because I had a lot of body issues to, to handle, and that's why I did not, uh, succeed, but the the second time, I uh, the second time I feel it was a little less about body issues, but it was more so about um, being uh, like sacrificing myself within my marriage because um, that was when my ex was sick and I had pleaded to go back to school. You know, I I basically felt like I I begged for some kind of support that I follow my, my quote-unquote dream. And um, halfway through, he told me that it was unrealistic that I continue going. And I just, I didn't go anymore, and I actually landed in, in the hospital again um, it, for depression and thoughts of suicide. And, right, um, right. But it wasn't about the massage school itself at all, I don't think. I think that was just another dichotomy I was, I needed to create in order to feel like, you know, victimized. To, to right. You know, I just, I didn't get a lot of attention in my marriage when, uh, unless I was being victimized or sacrificed in some way. So. And even then, that's not really attention, right? No, no. Um, I don't really know what to call it other than just a symptomatic. Stalking? I don't know. I don't know either, but it's not exactly the Stalking. same attention, right? Right. Would you Would you care to distinguish the difference for me? I would, but not just now. Uh, maybe if we have time at the end, uh, remind me. But uh, right. I wanted to keep focusing on this thing, which is more pressing, which is your your question about life goals, and and because this is going to be a pretty big investment. And you don't want to fail again, obviously, and and so, uh, so I, I I think it's important now. Obviously, 
I'm not an expert on life goals. I mean, good heavens, I run a podcast, right? So, uh, so, but but I do have some methodologies which I found sort of useful in in big picture stuff, which you know, just as a you know, my normal disclaimer as a rank amateur uh, might be might be of some help to you. And uh, I think that um, uh, I think that that the the main thing that I want to communicate to you is is a very deep sympathy first and foremost. And uh, I can um, uh, I can tell you a little bit about that if you like. Yes, please. Thank you. When, I mean, you, you came from a severely dysfunctional background as, as far as what you have communicated to me. And um, when we arrive in adulthood, when we come from these kinds of backgrounds, and um, we are, in a sense, in competition with people who come from far more functional backgrounds, it's hard not to feel retarded. I mean, is that is that an unfair statement? It's hard not to feel like you're just kind of everyone's sprinting around and you're kind of dragging yourself along the tarmac by, by your teeth or something, right? Right. Exactly. I definitely. Yeah. And when I was like when I was like five, I remember my first thought of like comparing my crayon collection to other girls in their crayon collection and just thinking how cruddy and cheap mine were compared to theirs and I think it just started at that point that I was just a lot less than and um, even though there's like so much more inside it was just there was no point in reaching it or expressing it yes absolutely and we the consciousness does not yet exist in the world for people to look at the walking wounded who come from difficult childhoods with a lot of compassion and sympathy i mean this is something that is a very it's a very broad statement it's not true in all for all people in all situations it's something that i have found to be true and most of the people that i've talked to and i'm not really able to think of many exceptions if any have found that to be the case as well so when we stumble out of these black, ugly caves of, of traumatic childhoods into adulthood, we feel crippled, but we feel like we can't say that we're crippled, and we feel like no one can see that we're crippled. So we kind of have to lurch around and fake it, which makes us feel embarrassed and ridiculous and ungainly. And, and again, this is just my thoughts on it. I, I just want to make sure that it's actually sort of um, fitting with, with your experience. Oh, yeah. Well, I definitely find it fitting. I've felt that way in job interviews. I've felt that way before in circumstances where my judgment is called upon. And, um, you know, right away there are comparisons being made to others who seem like they have their shit together. Um, and and I've even, yeah, I, I do find that suiting, uh, fitting. Right. And of course, the people who yeah. did grow up in more healthy environments, um, they, they, you'd think that they would have more sympathy, right? I mean, because, like, I don't think that I'm just naturally stronger and healthier than some starving kid in India. I'm just bloody lucky that I happen to be born in the West, right? I'm not superior. I'm just lucky. And, and that's, of course, something that I've been hammering for months, if not years, right, that we, we need to, um, I mean, we just generally need, need to, as a society and as a culture, recognize that uh, the difference between luck 
and virtue. And most people will try to, to reverse the two and they'll say, I'm better or I'm worth more, I'm valuable or I'm good because I was lucky. And uh, other people will say that I'm bad because I was unlucky, right? you see the difference? It's, yeah. it's, it, we, are, we are good because we are good, and we are lucky or unlucky because of the mere accidents of birth and, and, and parenting and, and environment and so on. But people who have been lucky want very often to feel that they, they're just better. And people who are unlucky have the opposite tendency. We think of ourselves as bad, like we somehow did choose our, our family environments and, and therefore we made bad decisions even before we were born, you know, even before we were conceived right. in some bizarre platonic manner, right? Right. It, it, it makes absolutely no sense. Right, right. So I, I sort of wanted to just, just the, the, the reason that I want to start with sympathy is that, uh, and of course, n when I can wedge my daughter into the conversation in any way, shape, or form, I will absolutely do so. So I'm going to mention uh, Isabella and, and tell you what, what I think is really, uh, really important to give you a sense of what you may have missed or some aspects of which you may have missed or been denied or had robbed uh, or withdrawn from you as, as a child. You know, she expressed preferences even in the womb. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. before Isabella was born, she would move when I spoke. I mean, obviously she would move away because I didn't stop speaking. But, uh, but no, she she would respond, and and she responded to. Uh, to to my voice uh, when she was when, uh, soon after she was born, you you stick your tongue out at a, at a newborn, and they stick their tongue back, and that's a completely bizarre thing because they've never seen a tongue before. They, how do they know what a tongue is? Like it's mind blowing, right? So we have choices even before we're born, right? And it's very clear to me, at least, that um, it's very continuous, that, that process of having preferences, right? So, I mean, and I won't bore, bore you all with the stories again, but... Uh, you know, I I Isabella has had, uh, you know, from within a couple of days of being old, she had preferences, things she liked, things that she didn't like, things she preferred and blah, 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 right? And that is something that is is only growing now. Now she has, like, she likes to play with the, the vents and she likes to, unfortunately, like all kids, I guess, wants to play with, with um, uh, plugs. She's obsessed with belts. Right, she, she, you give her a belt, she's good to go for like 20 minutes, just whipping it around and, and not whipping it, but you know, like turning it over and chewing on it and so on, right? Wow. And she just loves that stuff. And I don't know why, it's completely bizarre. Things that you don't even do to try and make her laugh will absolutely make her laugh. And then things you try to make her laugh with, she'll be like, bah, whatever, right? So uh, as a parent, it's an absolutely fascinating thing to see this development of, of preference, right? And she has, of course, preferences with food. She doesn't have preferences with clothing yet because I don't think she's figured that stuff out, but I'm sure that will come, right? So she has these extraordinarily strong and deep preferences, what she likes and what she doesn't. Uh, she, 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 even particular ways that she likes to be held, right? She doesn't like... And, 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 and she has different preferences 
between my wife and myself, right? So it, I, I think you get the general idea. But from from even before birth, we have these amazingly deep. Sorry, if you've just joined, if you could mute, please. We have these amazingly deep preferences, right? And that only continues as we uh, as we get older, right? Right. <clears throat> I think part of my um, my exploration in what my preferences are, part of that has been to kind of open up my my memories of my earliest preferences. Um, I remember telling my mom I wanted to be an artist when I was like five. And I do remember not having any kind of interest come from her about that. Um, I My preference was always to... Well, my preference when I was alone was to kind of like um, look at things and kind of like um, just analyze things. I that is the only thing I remember knowing about myself, my earliest self, was deep thinking and analyzing things. Um, but like I'll look at videos of when I was a child, and I don't see anything that resembles the kind of freedom that you allow Isabella to have in expressing those preferences. Yeah, in fact, it would be it would be quite tragic if if she did not have these preferences. It would be quite depressing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just one technical thing there. So, uh, and, and this is Isabella at nine and a half months old, right? And, and she's already has really strong preferences. And she's fierce with her preferences. Like if, if, if I'm changing her and she wants to get up, she'll just get up. Like, she'll just turn and twist, and, I mean, obviously, I don't want to physically restrain her, right? I mean, if she's going to plunge off the change table, I do. But she's she's very strong in her preferences. She's very strong, right? And, uh, and very strong-willed in her preferences. And that, to me, is a beautiful thing to see. And it is an absolutely heartbreaking thing to see for me, right? It's It's bittersweet, which I guess is the ambivalence of accelerating parenting from like the middle ages to the 25th century which is kind of what i'm trying to do from my own history to her future it's really heartbreaking because i see what was just smashed up in myself what was just hit with a bulldozer and a meteor and a nuclear bomb and just smashed atoms in myself that's that's very powerful because that's a living example what you do with isabella I know from personal experience is an example that has helped me tremendously in dealing with my inner child and making, making the switch from the self-loathing to, to the self-compassion, which has brought me light years away from depression. So seeing that, yeah, it's very powerful to witness, and I can't imagine what it would be to experience. Right, right. So, uh, so, so I, I just want to really reinforce that we are born with these very strong 
preferences and very strong-willed preferences. I mean, she she's not aggressive at all. She is not aggressive at all, but she's immensely strong-willed and assertive. And I, I think that's natural. I mean, I think that is, I think that's how we all are. And sure, if she, that's, if she, isn't that what creates such a struggle in parents? <laughs> it's like they, they get so angry and they take things so personally because of, because of the, the inner strength, because of the, the raw, natural strength that we're supposed to have that exists in babies. Right, right, right. And it is, again, it, it is a beautiful thing to see, and it would be heartbroken, I would be heartbroken if she didn't have that. But at the same time, I mean, it, it, it's, really, it's really sad to see. Uh, because, I mean, for obvious reasons. So, so when you are, at the age that you are, looking at how to make a choice, how to have a preference, I mean, I, I think it's really, really important just to have sympathy with yourself, right? Because you haven't, you haven't expressed much sympathy for yourself in this call, and that's, that's what I was listening for at the beginning. And and that's oh. what I'm here to try and, and remind you of. Right? That that you're dropped into it's it's like you were suddenly dropped in China, you know, wearing a potato sack and you don't know how to speak Chinese. And you're saying, Man, I must be stupid because everyone here seems to know how to speak Chinese perfectly, right? It's like, but you weren't taught that. And and in fact it's it's, the metaphor is not great because you have to work to learn Chinese, but we're born with these naturally very strong preferences. And they're benevolent preferences. I mean, she, she gets frustrated if she doesn't get what she wants, if I can't give her what she wants, but she's not, she doesn't get angry. She doesn't hit me or anything. She doesn't throw things at me, right? She's just upset, and that's perfectly fine, and that's perfectly valid. That's perfectly reasonable. I accept that she's upset. I don't, you know, I, I say I'm sorry, but I can't do it right now. We're driving. I have to wait till we get home or whatever, right? Right. I, I think I understand the importance of having the sympathy because I couldn't come to the I couldn't come to the desire to have a better life if I didn't have sympathy for who I who I was who I am naturally. Because who I am naturally I do have preferences and I need the financial stability in order to live my preferences. It's just kind of a catch-22 because I need to be secure in my preferences in order to gain that financial stability and to, to have confidence in what I choose. Um, my confidence is the problem at this point. Right, but I think that your confidence needs, needs to be supported by recognizing that your preferences if I understand your history correctly, and correct me if I go astray at all, your preferences were actively opposed as a child. So you have to be taught Chinese, but, but willpower and, and preferences, strong assertive preferences, we're born with. They have to be actively opposed and in many ways attacked in order for us to end up adrift in adulthood. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I was... Yes, my preferences were definitely attacked uh, all my life. I, there was by by a very young age, I I had taken on my mother's preferences, and I had actively um, 
expressed them, such as I had the option to live with my father when I was quite young, um, but I was adamant in the decision to stay with my mother, and I know that she was the one that reiterated that that idea in my brain constantly because it was at my mother's house where I was being physically abused. Right, and um, just just to re- and again, I just want to rewind that briefly just to remind you of the need for sympathy. Is you, if I remember rightly, you said I took on my mother's preferences. But that's um, I, I would not say that that would be an accurate description of of that, because that sounds voluntaristic, you know. True, true. I was um I don't I don't know the best way to put that probably. I knew that I knew that my only means of survival were to just go along with what my mother wanted me to do. Yeah, I mean the the yeah. answer is that you. I mean, and I don't know. The answer for me was that I I just got attacked for preferences which were inconvenient to others. Exactly, exactly. Financially, everything. I mean, when I was about to exit high school. When I was about to exit high school, my preference was just to get the heck away from my mom. It wasn't about school. It wasn't about anything. Because my opposition at the time was her fighting my the dean of my school to, like, keep me there for another year just to keep me there. She was going to get some kind of monetary compensation as a survivor benefit because my father had died as long as I was in school. So I just didn't have, you know, my preference was independence at that, at that point. And it's, that's where I'm stuck. Like that, the idea of not being confined to any one situation and just having emancipation and doing things on my terms are, are things I'm just constantly I'm just really serious about that. I don't, I don't know, I feel like I'm getting lost right now. Um, no, I mean, I, I think, I think you're, I mean, I think you're bang on target. I mean, uh, but, but I think that if, if I, I, no one can tell you what it is you should be doing with your life fundamentally. I mean, I think that as an annoying moralist, I might have things to say, like not to do with your life, like, you know, strangle kittens or whatever, but I don't think you're in any danger of that. Right. But but no one can tell you what to do, and that's why this call is not about, here's why I think you should be a photographer, because what the hell do I know, right? I mean, that would, it would be meaningless, right? But my concern is that it's, it's always so important to just remind yourself of the reasons why you have difficulties with certain things, because otherwise you're just going to feel broken in the wrong way, right? Sure. Because if, if you don't notice that you've sprained your ankle, then you're just going to think you're lazy for running slower, right? Or running in a circle or whatever, right? Right. So it is, uh, it is really around having an appropriate and I think self-sympathetic approach to understanding the effects of your history on your current capacity to make decisions. I still find it sometimes scary to be assertive, right? And I've been working on this shit, Christ, longer than you've been alive, I think, right? So it's still... It can be scary, even after working it for a long time, to be assertive, to make decisions that are in conflict with uh, with other people, right? So, so my suggestion is, you know, given you know your youth and and given your 
uh, you know, your recent marriage and, and your family history and so on, I think that it should be perfectly understandable that it is not a muscle that you have very well developed to choose what it is that you want to do with your life because that muscle was opposed and attacked and atrophied, right? It, it, it's a survival mechanism, right? Right. I'm sorry. That really hit me. Definitely. Uh, what it's part? like an atrophied muscle. The yeah, atrophied it, it muscle. Is. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, you're not allowed to move right. it. You're not allowed to lift it. You're not allowed to work out. You're not, you know. And we're, the weird thing is, is that you have to build up a muscle to make it strong. But we're born like titans, like gods. You know, we're born incredibly strong. And then it has to get slowly atrophied and weakened over time. But tell me what, uh, uh, what you mean. Well, I was watching Kill Bill last night, and I just keep replaying the part in my brain when she's in the car after getting out of the hospital, after escaping the hospital, killing the people who raped her while she was in a coma. <laughs> and she's in the car. She's trying to make her atrophied legs work for her. So she's in a wheelchair. She gets in the car. She's staring at her toes and she starts meditating on moving and wiggling her big toe and it takes her about 14 hours to make two of her feet her legs her feet everything just work miraculously and, and I haven't seen the film but it's it's angry willpower that does it right yeah yeah, because it's a Tarantino film, so it's not about gentleness and introspection and self-understanding and care and self-love and, and tenderness and inner child. It's all about just getting angry at your toe until it moves, right? Right. She, yeah, yeah. She thinks about her. She thinks about her trainer. She thinks about the agony she she went through with her trainer, and I mean, she was tortured into becoming a, a ninja warrior, <laughs> and I. When I didn't have sympathy all my life, I kind of, I felt like I should have that kind of willpower. Now, I don't, it's just kind of a, that expectation is kind of just like an echo. It's still there, but in a very faint way. I don't expect myself to do the things that I used to expect myself to. I think by becoming an organ donor for somebody who, treated me so terribly. I think that's a perfect example of the lack of compassion and sympathy I have for myself. And I think that's the kind of negative willpower that I that I um, summoned from. It's like it's like uh, getting blood from a stone. And um, I just I get sad when I think about that kind of pressure that I put on myself. And I don't you mean to have that kind of back. you mean to have that kind of willpower? Yeah, I don't think it comes from a very healthy place, and I think you can run on empty pretty easily. Yeah, it is my belief that it does not come from a very healthy place, but it comes from a perfectly understandable place, right? Because in, in your childhood, when people got things done, they used angry, dominant willpower, right? Right, like white-knuckling it. Yeah, like uh, you yell at your toe to make it move, and you yell at your child to get what you want. Right. 
And if you don't have that in you, and I think it's a wonderfully beautiful thing that you don't have that in you, right? If you don't have that in you, then it's a sword that you can't use, thank heavens, and you have to find something else, right? Something other than angry willpower has to be the motive force of your life. That's, a, that's a, an amazing statement, really, because I wonder what that will be for me. I well, don't really know what that will be for me. I tried to tell you. <laughs> right? It's, it's, Is it going to be the sympathy? It's, Is that it's, what it's going to be? <laughs> it's self-sympathy. It's, it's self-compassion, right? Yeah. Right. We don't get to, you know, we who have this weird fucked up sensitivity, whatever you want to call it, right? We don't have it in us to yell at people and bully them and intimidate them to get what we want. Right? That's fair to say, right? And so yeah. since, since that's not what we're going to do to get what we want, we have to find something else. And there are lots of other ways to get what you want in life other than yelling at people or bullying them, right? You can be sexy to get what you want. You can... Um, <laughs> Sorry? That never really got me anything good. <laughs> no, I, look, I didn't say it was a good way. I'm just saying it was a way, right? There is a way to get... I mean, there's lots of options. You can become rich, right? You can become rich. You can, uh, um, you, can, uh, uh, you can play the pity card, right? You can, have a, you can be the minister of gloom and doom of, from the kingdom of woe is me, and you can make everybody feel sorry for you, and then they will give you what you want, right? You can manipulate six different ways from Sunday. You can bully, you can frighten, you can buy people, you can set them up, you can do, you could buy a great car, whatever it is, you know, that, that one, there's lots of different ways. I think they all suck, but they are ways to get things done, right? To get what you want. Those are all ways that I think I think I just survived using all of those tactics. Um, but see, I don't want to survive anymore. I want to live. I want to. I want to have like an enriched life. I really do. Right, and by, I yeah. by achieving. I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, go ahead. Like by achieving things based on my, you know, not not that I'm a. Not that I'm a saint, but that I have, I have capability, I have skill, I have credibility. Like one of one of my favorite ideas is thinking of myself as a public speaker about about things that I could be passionate about. And along with that, I I've kind of brainstormed what's around that. Around that is credibility, enthusiasm, compassion for those who don't know something, the ability to express. Um, new ideas, you know, because I have evidence that they work, whatever it be, you know, um, based on psychology or based on technical skills, like technical things or anything like that. I, I don't want to be just, I mean, when I was speaking about performing arts, those are like 
things that I gained immediate gratification from. When I'm on stage, I feel loved. I feel sure. paid attention to. I feel validated. I really do feel validated. Yeah. I just, I just want to be credible, and I want to have, I want to have an education behind it. I don't, I don't want to be that. I was identified myself with one of my first characters that I played. I'm going to be Artful Dodger. And I just <laughs> always, you know, I was just always like, yeah, I am the Artful Dodger. I can do anything with nothing. And, you know. Right. Right. I can't live like that anymore. I don't know if this goes on. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I, I, I think I really get what you're saying. So let me uh, bounce something back at you and see if it makes sense. Uh, I haven't seen Kill Bill, and I don't know if this happens in this in this film, but um, in in so many films and so many TV shows or whatever, there's this scene right where the the hero or the heroine is is totally cornered, right? The, the, everyone's closing in. They're, they're in a they're in an alley, and they're just they're screwed, right? They're toast, right? And then something happens. You know, they, they, they pull out something or some trapdoor opens or some ninjas come from the sky and snatch them away and they get away in some really clever way, right? You think they're never going to make it and then they just pull something out of a hat and they make it, right? And, it, you know, right. the more unexpected and clever it is, the better, right? You, you're right. Well, right. sorry? Right. Well, I'll tell you my silly particular personal theory of what is called authenticity, because I think that's what you're talking about. I don't want to manipulate people. I don't want to play them. I don't want to be loved for talent or beauty or ability or money. I want to be loved for who I am. I want to be authentic to who I am, not dominated by the past, not plowed under the wet earth of conformity. I want to be actually who I am. And my experience and my theory about what authenticity is, is authenticity is the trap door that opens up right under your feet when you are completely cornered, beaten down, and screwed. When you just can't find any other way to be that you have been taught how to be. When you can't swallow a single pill out of the entire array of medicine that has been spread out in front of you your whole life, you simply can't swallow one of those jagged little pills anymore and you don't know how you're going to live and you don't know how you're going to be, you kind of throw yourself off a cliff and you fall into who you actually are. And you only throw yourself off a cliff because you're completely cornered, like the end of Thelma and Louise or whatever, right? Like you just, it, it is the, the authenticity, individuation, are the ninjas that rappel down from the sky and yank you away from all that is cornering you and you don't know that they're coming, right? And the reason that I'm saying this is that when you say at the beginning of the conversation, dog training, photography, and advertising mm -hmm. and performing arts, right? Which you seem to have discounted, which, you know, I'm going to just sort of go with that. Um, mm -hmm. I did not 
see a flow out of the things that I believe or I've experienced you being interested in to any of these things, right? And I'll tell you what made me like do the FDR thing or whatever, do the philosophy thing. It wasn't so much for me, what do I want to do with my life? And that, that, that's a bit of a misleading question uh, for me. And that, that's a question that's never been that helpful to me. So for me, the question, what do I want to do with my life, was never helpful to me. For me, the, help, the most helpful question was, what do I want to provide to the world? What do I want to give to the world? Right? And if you want to give to the world beautiful photographs, then I would say, be a photographer. And if you want to give to the world happy and well-trained and obedient and uh, helpful dogs, then be a dog trainer. And if what you want to give to the world is funny and clever and uh, amusing advertisements, then be an advertiser. And if what you want to give to the world is the escapism and joy of comedic or tragic performances, then be an artist, right? But what do I want to do with my life is, to me, it was too much on the selfish side. It For me, it was much more about what do I want to give the world? And it made it easier for me with Free Domain Radio because I said to myself, do I want to really give the world another software package? Mm-hmm. Right? Do I want to give the world another presentation of buy this software? Do I want to give the world another technical white paper about how great this software package is? Do I want to give the world another analysis of all the competitors in the market and how we, how this product stacks up against them? And don't get me wrong, for years I did want to give that to the world. I was thrilled to be able to do that. I was thrilled to get the opportunity to do that. And then I wasn't. You know, there's these these Disney films where the the heroine, you know, she she she's walking through the woods or she's singing and dancing through the woods, right? And there's these sunbeams and these birds all flying around her hair. And and after her footsteps bloom up these beautiful flowers, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know which movie it is. Probably all of all of them, right? Like all the movies, there are no parents, right? And for me, it's like, what, what are the flowers that I want to leave behind? Right? As I, as I walk through um, the world, what are the flowers uh, that I want to leave behind? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, A, that's totally gay for me to say. But I think you understand <laughs> where it is that I'm coming from. You know, like, if you can imagine me as a Disney heroine with, <laughs> anyway, but, but, but. <laughs> And and I would do obviously more pirouettes than your average Disney heroine would, and there would be even gayer birds flying around me. Uh, I don't know what are gay birds, bluebells? I don't know bluebirds. Anyway, but uh, but but it is. You could what, wear your blonde wig at least. <laughs> no, I I think I would be much more striking as the cue cue ball head that I am. I think that would be quite the Disney heroine, you know. Um, but I think I think that's really important. What kind of trail do I want to leave behind in the world from my day? Yeah, that's interesting. Right, so if you, and again, I, have, I mean, nobody can tell you what you want to do with your life, but 
if you love truth and authenticity and depth and self-knowledge and so on, why not be a counselor? Why not be a therapist? Why not? I mean, I don't know, right? But if that's the stuff that you love in yourself, right? And the other thing too that, that I think has been very helpful in terms of life goals, which has always been the most successful way to approach it for me is, you know, is there a way to get paid for doing what I do for free? Is there a way to get paid for doing what I do for free? Why did it go into software eventually? Because when I got my very first job, <laughs> uh, I guess more, not my first job, but my first job that had any kind of steady income, uh, I bought a computer. Right? I could have bought a car. That's how expensive computers were back then. Not a very good car, but I could have bought a car. And I programmed night and day and loved it and, and so on. So I, I did all of that. I used to go in Saturdays to the computer lab and just program all day. And with the other kids, we'd share tips and all this and that. And I loved it. So I, I did that for free for years. Could I find a way to get paid? Eventually I did, right? Obviously, free domain radio was a massive... <laughs> Uh, all-consuming hobby for quite some time before I even thought about charging anyone, right? Uh, or it was suggested, I think someone suggested, oh, I'd like to donate or whatever, right? And it's like, really? Really? Right? So, uh -huh. you know, whatever it is that you're doing for free, and and I, I had a director um, who, um, you know, she liked my acting, right? But she also knew that I was a writer. And I, I was, at this time, I was sort of I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I came off two fairly successful acting gigs. One is playing the lead in Macbeth, the other playing the doctor in The Elephant Man. And I was like, oh, I like to write, I like to act, I like to write, I like to act. And she said to me something very smart. She said, well, when you go home and you have spare time, what do you do? Right? I said, well, I write. And she said, do you practice your accents? Do you pick up scene studies? Do you get other actors together to read plays, to figure out new stuff? I said, oh, no, that, I, I write. And she says, well... That's important, right? What do you do when you have some free time? And is there any kind of way to translate that into um, a profession? Now, if you love taking photographs, you love taking photographs and the idea of leaving beautiful photographs in the world as your legacy, then, hey, be a photographer, right? If you, you know, turn on the advertising channel or, you know, you, you go to YouTube and look up the world's funniest commercials and you just are completely delighted at telling, you know, inventive and witty tales in 20 or 30 seconds, be an advertiser, right? If you love dogs and you, you understand, right? Yeah, I do. So tell me what you're feeling. I think, oh, man, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, feelings. You absolutely have to apologize for feelings at Freedom Aid Radio. This may be the one part I don't cry, but sorry. But I really, what I think about constantly is how far I've come because of the work that you've introduced to me. And the only thing that I really want to leave behind is Is like my story is sharing sharing the story of how I was able to gain my independence. I don't know if that would mean anything to anybody, 
Oh, you. Or if I can make money on it, but that's what I think about all the time. So you want to help people. Yeah. Right. And you can do that in the performing arts, right? You can do that uh, in interpretive dance, as I have often done, though never published the videos. Um, I like this. There's there's lots of what you can do it by being a therapist. You can do it by being a writer, by being a performer, by I mean lots of different ways. You can even do it probably by being a photographer, right? Right. I mean, if you were, I mean, this is not something that. This is just something off the top of my head, but. You know, we see photographic exhibits of some truly terrible stuff, you know, like uh, murderers and genocides and so on. You can see these photographic exhibits where these terrible pictures. I, I've always thought it would be a, a fascinating project, and I think a hugely enlightening project, to take a camera around a mall or a parking lot for a couple of days and just take pictures of people yelling at their kids, if they are, or, you know, snapping at their kids or whatever, right? Because... I think that's that's telling a lot more about the human condition because when you photograph the murders at the end of it, and again, I'm not saying it's a direct causal correlation from just snapping at your kids or whatever, but people are fascinated by the violence at the end of it, but it's much more important to talk about the the harshness that's at the beginning of it all, right, of that kind of problem, right? That, that to me, would be a fa I would be fascinated to see that photographic uh, exhibit, um, but you won't see it because it's still not something as a society that we're very good or prepared at looking at, right? Right. So, wow. Um, yeah. That would be, that would be something that being able to, to present that to the public would entail using something that I use, like, primarily to make my money with, have a career with. And then, since it's not exactly a very popular topic, it would have to be something I do on an independent level. And I so, agree. And, just uh, like yeah. FDR. It, yeah. Just like FDR was very independent until you were able to get some backing for it. And then you left your career with, with your energy going into FDR. Right. And, and what I mean by that, and this was obviously just an idea off the top of my head, but what I mean by that is that there's ways of being able to tell this story in a powerful way without necessarily, I mean, through, through that, right? Through... Uh, through through doing photography, right, uh, and and so on, right. So there's lots of different ways that you can. Uh, um, I mean, it's, I'm just thinking about ways you could incorporate tenderness and care for for the helpless uh, as a dog trainer. Well, if you're a dog trainer, and uh, you go into a household and you te you treat the dog with such firmness and gentleness and respect and civility that it melts the child's heart or the parent's heart, right? I mean, if, if there's any problems in the family, you could do wonderful work that way as well. Like this, there's so many different ways that you could incorporate it. Uh, that, um, uh, that, that it's not so much what you do, it is relative to the impression, the, the footsteps of flowers that you want to leave behind you in the world. Once you know that, then I think you can, you're a lot closer. But if you just say, well, what do I want to do? The problem is that, you don't know what you want to do because you haven't had that training, right? Or rather, you've had it actively resisted in you throughout your history. So it's sort of like yelling into a canyon, right? The echo might come back, but it's not the same as speaking, right? But I, I found it more helpful to look at what impression do I want to leave behind in the world. What I want to leave behind is, is I would love to rekindle passion in people for the world and for life in general, 
for people who are completely depressed and they don't feel like they can live another day. I want them to see that it's possible. And when I was speaking with my counselor about doing things like that, because we talked about what my my intentions are in whatever career I go into, and it, a lot of it was to um, to uh, express myself and to um, possibly go into arts therapy. That was something that we talked about as well. And the, the counselor said something like, um, so many people come in here with addictions and things, and they want to go out and be alcohol counselors, and they want to help them be, they want to help addicts. And there's no point in in doing that. They they're just trying to, like he was just wrapped around the concept that people are just trying to, like do things because they have experience in it or something, like right. And then he asked him, what was what did he go to school for? He said he went to school for chemistry. And he's like, now look at me now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, yeah, you're working for the state. You're one of those, you're just another asshole. <laughs> That's how I felt. Uh, really? Okay, yeah. Well, he, so, he, so he may not have been helping or listening to you that well. But, of course, you know, that, that's a tough skill to, to develop for sure. But... I know that this doesn't help you make a decision about what you want to do in the next week or two, right? I mean, I f- I'm fully aware of that. And, of course, maybe there's someone who can... I can't help you with that. I, I just don't think that would be, uh, um, I mean, disrespectful to the individual that, that you are and the amazing individual that you are, right, who has made the most extraordinary, deep and rich process, uh, progress, uh, at least uh, since, uh, since I've known you and something to just be magnificently and enormously proud of. But... If if you do want to help people, and I, I think that there is a sweetness that comes out of a particular kind of suffering and a gentleness that comes out of a particular kind of suffering and an outrage that comes out of a particular kind of suffering that is very powerful, is very powerful. And I think that you have that, and I think that you could almost do anything with the intent that I think you've expressed of wanting to help people as long as you keep that intent first and foremost in your mind, I think that you could make a palace out of any house you wander into professionally. But I think it will help you to make that decision about what it is that you, uh, that you want to do if you focus on taking that power that is so hard won. You know, it has is, it is come out of the ruin of your childhood in many ways. The power that you have for self-empathy, for growth, for reflection, for compassion, for understanding. That is a sword that comes out of our own bodies almost, right? And if you want to use that sword, so to speak, to, to do good in the world, or hug, you know, whatever you want to call it, to hug the world, to teach people about the, the beauty of, of possibility and the, the, the escape from the prisons of history and suffering. If, if you keep that in your mind, I think you could almost do anything and be a success at it. But I think that if you don't have that in your mind, I don't think that you will get your whole being behind you, if that makes any sense. Right. And I don't think it, massage it therapy does. would have done that for you.
I don't, I don't even know how I feel about massage therapy at this point. <laughs> but it, I don't think it would have given you this possibility because it's nonverbal, right? I mean, you would have helped people in a way, but um, I, 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 again, I, I just, that's why I don't know that I would characterize it as a failure, right? I, yeah, back back then when I was in school, I thought my whole life would change as soon as I stepped foot in the classroom. Mm. And I would just fall in line and I would become a, a brilliant massage therapist and just change everybody's perspective on how they treated their bodies and I didn't even have a good one on myself. So. Right. Um, but at this point, I... I I know how I am around animals, and I know um, animals were the first thing that I felt compassion for. You know, like I had a I had a little dog in the house that I grew up in for a few years, where I was brutally abused, and I identified with this dog so strongly, and um, I just found that. I found that um, it's because dogs are abused on a on a daily basis, just like children are. Yeah. Um, but that also compels me away from becoming a trainer because of the, the types of parents, dog parents that I will come in contact with, and the kinds of. Um, I'm getting I'm getting kind of sad thinking about this. Like I'm getting anxious thinking about how I will want to maintain my authenticity around a profession that I'm going to have to rely on for my livelihood. And if I'm rejected in a world that does not appreciate my authenticity, then I will be poor. <laughs> I will remain poor and I will I will not find I will not find the kind of people who appreciate what I'm trying to bring to them. It's like my worst fear that I'm just going to be stomped on. My authenticity will be stomped on. My empathy will be ridiculed. Right. So if you're, if you're brought in to treat a traumatized dog, then you will be in the presence of a kind of uh, someone who has abused an animal or been very harsh to an animal. And that's in a sense a, uh, a, a resurrection of your history, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah, and I, I think that's very wise, yeah. Right. It lies in the thought of me going to school for psychology as well because what as Lloyd the Mouse experienced, he he couldn't he couldn't work on the things that he found worthy of attention. He was he left school, right? Because he couldn't he, or he left his job or something because he wasn't um supported by by the board or something like, yes sorry let me let me just correct you on that uh, and you know this is this is nothing to do with um, uh, anything that I know about your jurisdiction but um, uh, you don't you don't have to be you don't have to get a PhD to be um, to, to practice uh, in the field of psychology right some people do some people don't you don't even have to uh, get an undergraduate degree or a master's degree to call yourself um, a, a counselor or a life coach or like you can just 
hang out your shingle and do it, right? Again, you want to check with the local um, psychological association or board, but uh, you don't have to spend, you know, 15 years uh, in school and getting, you know, it's not like becoming a doctor. You can uh, become uh, a, a counselor or a life coach or something like that. And again, the terms you need to check with your local jurisdiction, but you can get into helping people without spending 10 or 15 years in school. Yeah, really, absolutely. And uh, the other thing, too, is that um, uh, one of the things that seems to be true, and I, I say this having read, you know, lots of people who've written about their own therapeutic careers, that um, you won't get abusers coming into your office because they don't go for therapy. Right. That's a really broad statement. I mean, and of course, there are people who were ordered to go into like anger management or whatever. Right. But um, as from my understanding, most people who are abusers uh, don't uh, don't tend to go into therapy. Like I've read a lot of uh, reports of therapy. I don't think I've ever read one where a guy came in who, you know, abused his kid for 10 years or whatever and then came into therapy and worked through those issues. I don't think that I've ever seen or heard of that. Um, again, this is just my idiot opinion or, or amateur opinion, but uh, it's not uh, it's not such a high barrier that that it may not be as high a barrier as you think it is, and it also may uh, I think that it would not necessarily expose you to uh, abusers in the way in the way that oh, you might man. right. Well, um, it might. I, that's a very good point. People who go to therapy are usually searching for um, a better life and recovery. But my mother was somebody who used therapy against me. It was her ultimate weapon against me. But and did she herself go to a uh, a good therapist? She yes, she went to therapy. She went to therapy, and she used that as her way into everything. Like, um, every, but every every time a therapist could pinpoint that she was completely insane, she changed therapists, and she would threaten them with a restraining order. <clears throat> Right. And I, I would, yes, but I would guess that if, if you did end up wanting to go into the therapeutic profession and you did it, I mean, you would be able to spot like someone like that over the phone, I bet. Right. And then, oh, I'm right. sorry, I'm, I'm booked. <laughs> Whatever, right? Right. I'm booked and then make a, make an anonymous phone call. <laughs> or whatever, no. right? But, uh, but, but. <laughs> yeah. There are ways in which you could, uh, you know, take the stuff that you really love around self-knowledge and, and virtue and so on. There are ways in which you could end up in that profession, which would not necessitate, if I understand it correctly, uh, would not necessitate having a PhD and which would not expose you to an endless round of, you know, really nasty, ugly people. Right. And if again, no one can tell you, but I just, if it's something that you've written off, I would say, n wouldn't necessarily say that you should, uh, you know, write it off. But sorry, go ahead. I was thinking if I did go to school for, for this thing that, for the thing that I want to encompass through, through my other abilities, whether it be writing about my story or, I mean, the reason I think Dr. Alice Miller has so much credibility is because she's a doctor. Mm -hmm. I think her book 
the the drama was so small, yet it was really hard hitting and it was perfect. Um, and I'm not sure if many people would acknowledge it if she was not a doctor. Um, what I'm saying is, if you have the uh, the history of going to school for psychology and having a, a obvious understanding for what it's all about, I think if you publish a book that like I could see I could see myself publishing a book with photography that I've taken with my story with applying applying knowledge of um, of like artistic and therapeutic activities you know like kind of a a life coach type of thing that that could be something that comes out of me going to school for psychology rather than going to school to be a dog trainer and then saying, I'm tired of this. I have to write my book that I wanted to write for so long. And then I come out with it and I'm a dog trainer. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and I think, I think what you're doing here is very, very interesting. I mean, I I just wanted to point it out. You, You probably are aware of it, but just for others who may not have noticed it. One of the things that when you come out of a very difficult or traumatic childhood, everything is moment to moment, right? I I, I never thought, what am I doing in six months? What am I doing next year? I'm like, how am I going to survive the next five minutes? That was my life, sometimes the next five seconds, right? Absolutely. Right? So, So one of the things that, you know, when I was facing this, you know, I think I'm not so suited for software anymore, what I'm going to do with my life. You know, what what occurred for me was I wanted to look into the future and say, well, where do I want to be in five or ten years? In five or ten years, when I'm looking back, what decision will I have wanted to make, right? We're just not used to doing that, really. Um, oh, no, absolutely not. Right, and, and but but what you just started to do that and say, well, if I want to write a book in ten years, how would I be best positioned for that, right? Right. But that's very important, Not being right? a dog trainer, <laughs> Right, so it's it's right. not just about how am I going to pay my bills next week, and that's important, of course, right? But it is it is very important to think from the future back to where you are now, right? Because you know, whenever you make decisions in life, they 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 put you in very different places, right, down the road, and they open up possibilities and they close off a huge number of possibilities. Every decision that you make is a an, an almost infinity of things that you're eliminating, right? So let's say. You say, I'm going to be a photographer, right? Well, everything else but being a photographer is now off the table for quite some time, right? So decisions are not about, in a sense, what you want to do. It's like, I'm not going to do anything else, right? That's that's another way of looking at it that I think is important. And right. uh, I think yeah. looking into the future and say, what I want to achieve with my life as a whole, what kind of flowers do I want to leave in the forest uh, uh, as I traipse through this, uh, this world? Um. I think uh, looking at uh, how you're going to best able to achieve that, you can achieve that, you know, as as a counselor or a therapist or, you know, psychologist or whatever, if you want to go the whole route, you can achieve that without having to write a book, right? You can achieve that, obviously, with your patients, right? Which is a huge and powerful way of, of helping people, right? Certainly much more powerful than what I'm doing, right? Which is just basically a little bit of philosophical review of, of, of the sort of empirical possibilities. But... You can do that without writing a book um, if you are a good enough writer, right, and, and you're passionate enough and you have a topic that works in a particular context, then, I mean, they really, if, if the book will sell, they don't really care. I mean, certainly they'd probably prefer you have a PhD or whatever, but, but you know, again, I would really, really focus back just on what is it that you want to take 
sorry, what do you want other people to take out of their interactions with you? I mean, I'm, I'm always, um, the Dalai Lama said once, you know, he wakes up and spends six hours before he goes out into the world. He wakes up and spends six hours um, going over his intentions, right? What is it that he wants to achieve? What does he want people to get out of their interactions with him? Now, I'm not a monstrous fan of the guy, but I thought that was a very interesting statement. Whether it's true or not doesn't really matter. But, you know, before before every call, before every Sunday show, I sit there and think, okay, well, you know, who am I talking to? What, what's the history? Um, what do I want? What do I want this person to get out of the conversation with me? How do I want to leave them at the end of the conversation? And and I sort of try and, and what do I think might be the hurdles or the, the logical challenges to overcome? And I think that those things, when, when you have the intention of how it is you want people to come away from dealing with you, how, how you want them to experience you in the world, I think that has a lot to do with what you end up doing with your life. And, and it has a huge amount with how you end up interacting in the world.